This episode of Pots vs. Pete's was recorded January 19th of 2018. It was posted April 15th of 2018. This is your spoiler warning. We go into an in-depth review analysis discussion. If you haven't seen this movie, please watch it before you listen to our podcast. If you don't care about spoilers, then hey, welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pots vs. Pete's. I'm Kirk Peterson. And I'm Alex Potabon. And we're here today to review every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie leading up to Avengers Infinity War. Just to give a little brief summary, uh, I'm Kirk Peterson. I've gone to film school. Not that that really matters, just that I kind of want to get back into the filming game. Uh, and we decided to kind of do this project of reviewing Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, movies uh, in order to kind of get back into writing and and reviewing and talking as much as possible. Yep, and I'm Alex Bobham. Um I have no film school experience whatsoever. I got mine in biology, so, you know, winning degree. <laughs> um, but I have always been enjoyed movies and always, you know, liked analyzing them. I was that guy. So, I'm here now. Um, I love all most of these Marvel Cinematic movies. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea. And the executions always varies, but for the most part, I'm in. So, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this show. So, we're going to get right into it uh, today. Uh, last week, we did Hulk and Iron Man 1. And today, we're on our way to do Iron Man 2. So, Potabom, would you like to go ahead and give us a little synopsis yeah so i'll do a little bit of history first um so this movie was pretty much after the first iron man did successfully well with a nobody hero um this movie was pushed into production very quickly and it shows um by doing this this movie became a lot more of an infomercial for the avengers movie than an actual movie um, to the point where they would have to rewrites the script while was filming um if you remember from the last podcast they didn't have a script for the first iron man and in this one, they had a script, but it had to be keep being rewritten to add more um, Avengers references and references to other things that had no business being in this movie at all. To the point where the director doesn't really want to work with Marvel anymore because of this. Um, he was supposed to come back for Iron Man 3, and he definitely never wanted to do that after this. So, um, the movie starts out with pretty much right after Tony Stark declares to the world that he is Iron Man... His his father's co- business partner, um, fellow scientist, his basically dies, and his son, Ivan Vanko, um, a very very characterized Russian, 
decides to get revenge on him by building a narc reactor like Tony Stark has, the thing that powers his suit, the magical, not magical, but the really scientific glowy light thing. So as while that's happening, Tony Stark is realizing that this arc reactor saving his life is because it's keeping the shards out of his body, but at the same time, it's slowly poisoning him to death. Um, he's basically dying, and he has a bunch of weird lines on his body that, like, is, I'm sure, in no way scientific whatsoever. Pretty sure you don't get, like, weird, like, crossword lines all over your body if you're dying of poison, but I've never been poisoned to death. But it looks cool and digital. (laughs) Yeah, I've never been poisoned to death, so you know what? Maybe that's what happens. In all fairness, uh, Batman Beyond did that as well with uh, Terry McGinnis' dad. So, maybe there is something to this superhero science. I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to use my very limited biology experience and tell you that that's not the case at all. <laughs> Especially not perfect straight lines like that. So, <laughs> But, anyway, so essentially Tony Stark is having to deal with the fact that he's might there's a very good chance in his mind that he's going to die later and how he wants to leave his legacy behind. You know, he left the weapons field behind, but there's still a lot to do out there, and he can't be Iron Man forever. Uh, but the world has other plans for him. He still has to try and run a business, which he gives up and gives to his secretary, personal assistant, um, love interest, Pepper Potts. Uh, he, the government wants his suit now because he declares it isn't a weapon, it's a peacekeeping tool, and that nobody else in the world has it. But eventually, as the movie goes on, other people get that technology and just in general, he's not handling this very well. Um, he tries to go, you know, have fun and be able to do whatever, but business makes him go to Monaco, which is where he decides to start driving a race car because he knows life is over, so he goes on a freeway and drives a race car, which is when Ivan Vanko, the main villain of the story, attacks him, and one of Tony Stark's rivals in the military business, Justin Hammer, played by Sam, and Rock- Sam Rockwell, um, notices this and the two villains decide to start up a plot together to take out Tony Stark. Um, after that, it just shenanigans happen that just are dumb. There's a very forced in plot about Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the superhero government agency, I guess. And it all things all blow up at the end. It's about it explosion yeah it's just credits so i guess we'll just go right into it to the good um and like you giving up that plot synopsis like really reminds me like of how good the movie looks on paper you tell me that plot details and i'm like i'm in that makes sense we have a lot of uh a competition between these different uh companies trying to make these uh different kind of weapons uh, for for various motivations and um it it could have been like this really cool uh uh plot uh driven espionage thriller of some sort yeah it, a, a key word is could yeah it definitely doesn't um yeah this movie opens up a lot of plot threads that are really interesting and does nothing with them there's two kinds of movies yeah. i don't like in this world there's movies that are just outwardly bad and which there's plenty of those in the world and you know i don't have to get like it's there's so many of them that it's just something i don't like and there's enough components in it that i can't really find redeemable qualities and then there's a much smaller subsection of movies that 
I don't like because they disappoint me. There's something good buried, sometimes really deeply in there, that it just frustrates me that there's no way of, like, you know, pulling those out and getting rid of the garbage. And this movie, this rewatch of this movie is very much that. There are some, and yeah. even the first half of watching this movie, I remember, I was like, why did I not like this movie? You know, it very clearly states the theme of the movie, which is about legacy and who you want to, how you want to be remembered and who you want to, you know, remember you after you're gone and how you want to set up how you're remembered by people. It's reflected mm-hmm. in how Tony Stark deals with death. It's reflected in, you know, his relationship with his father, who was very cold and distant to him. That, but we realize later is actually loved him and wanted to give all of this stuff to him. He just wasn't old enough to realize that yet. Um, right. And then also with the main villain of, you know, legacy of the guy, Ivan Vanko's father, it's later revealed is pretty much a kind of a thief and also just a very bad person um, who was trying to basically profiteer, war profiteer off of the weapon. So he was deported back to Russia and then because of that essentially squandered in life until he died and uh, remind me later that i have a few little quibbles about that little uh detail yeah i uh, but keep going agreed i have that as well uh, but essentially the idea of legacy is brought up and it's nice to have a superhero movie sometimes theme gets lost um i mentioned that with the incredible hulk movie that i think that happened this one is very much to the point and when it's focused on that it's great you know yeah and like you said the plot idea is great all this stuff is good in there but it just gets bogged down with having to be a commercial for the avengers movie the good movie stuff um robert Downey jr is still awesome and a lot and yeah. and gwyneth paltrow's pepper Potts is still great um i i really like what this movie could have been uh, there's mm-hmm. the, the the dialogue and a lot some of the lines are still quick and witty um, yeah. S- S- Samuel L. Jackson, for despite being kind of forced into this movie, is great. The whole scene where he's at the diner with Tony Stark and is essentially just making fun of him for getting the Iron Man, like one of his Iron Man suits stolen from him. You know, because he, <laughs> he had like, Rhodey comes in at one point and, you know, when Tony Stark is drunk and steals the Iron Man suit because he's, Tony Stark is now a liability to people, right? He's drunk. I forgot to mention the synopsis, but. He gets drunk at his birthday party, and, you know, for a while he was just hanging out in the Iron Man suit and being fun, and then he accidentally shoots off one of his laser things and almost hits people, and then just starts shooting random objects that people are throwing up in the crowd. Like, he very, very easily could have killed somebody. And so his friend, Rhodey, basically steals an Iron Man suit from him and tries to, like, gets everybody out of the party and basically beats up Tony Stark so that he doesn't keep doing this anymore. So... That and so later, you know, Tony Stark is hungover and eating donuts, and Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury character finds him and asks him why he gave Rhodey the suit, and then pretty much just berates him afterwards when he figures out that he didn't give up the suit; it got stolen from him. So mm-hmm. that part was fun. The whole um, Tony Stark not actually being able to deal with this is nice. Um, it's good to have a character that has flaws. Um, and I think the party scene was good. It's nice to have him be so vulnerable. That was a great moment um, that I don't that I think the movie wanted to follow up on more, but just didn't. But I enjoyed that part. Yeah, I I like I like the idea of that scene. 
I like the idea of everything this movie's going on. What an interesting way, or, like, an interesting concept to have Tony Stark on the verge of death throughout this movie and also be talking about legacy, what he's about to leave behind, what his father left behind before him. Um, and, like, in a, a bizarro universe, this should have led to a very uh, interesting movie. Uh, I mean, we just checked out IMDb, and it has a 7 out of 10, so apparently people uh, did find it at least interesting or, or good enough to give it a C, you know. Yeah. I Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know if I would... Yeah, I, we'll get into this later, but I definitely would not give it that rating. But yeah, there's... Well, yeah, well, we'll go... We'll get there, but... Yeah, there's good um, moments in this movie. That's... I Yeah, absolutely. All, yeah, for all the insulting I'm doing to this movie, it's not that bad of a movie. Like, I remember thinking it was going to be worse when I rewatched it just because I remember this being like oh this is one of the worst of the movies and it's not that bad it's I think what happened was um a, the director and not that the studio was always bad or that somehow studios ruin movies all the time I I think that trend I bet there's a good case of, for that though yes but and especially in this one too because it's very clear that a lot of stuff that didn't belong in this movie was pushed on it um trying to set up for avengers trying to set up more shield stuff and all those other things and you know probably the idea that you probably don't want tony stark being that irredeemable um i'm surprised they let him get drunk in this movie like legitimately blackout drunk in this movie that is crazy to me that because it's such a like these movies kind of become more not sterile after this but don't take that kind of risk of making somebody get drunk and then almost end up accidentally killing people that's nuts yeah, and we don't you know, we don't get that vulnerable no we sure. never get that ever again after this and i'm surprised that existed in this and i think that's the thread it wanted to go on this movie wanted to do that more and it shows that this movie had potential of being something really good like we said we've said but it just doesn't follow up on it so let's see what else we got here um I think so when, my so my four good points is that I love Mickey Rourke's performance and presence, and that's very distinctive of what I'm about to say that about that character much later. Really, in this program. Fair enough. Yeah, I love I I love Mickey Rourke, dude. Uh, have you seen The Wrestler? I have not. I like I like him yeah, as an see, actor. He's just not in this. <laughs> so like I like his performance and presence. I think he is a very good extension of where the. Uh, Iron Man villain could be and like again we're talking about legacy here and he's the son of a man that worked with Howard Stark and his life is in shambles because of these choices and stuff like that he again a very good idea and a good character actor to pull off that kind of character um, so I like the performance and presence and that's going to be very uh, important to note and what I mean by that is, like, he is built like a bad guy, and he acts and looks, you know, good enough for something that could, that has, that's an interesting counterbalance to Stark. Uh, he's not like he's witty or, or trying to be eccentric like Stark is. He's, like, almost the opposite, very composed and quiet and is ready to strike. So that's what I mean by presence and his performance. Uh, I Again, we've already talked about the good ideas. Um, uh, I like some ideas of identity he repeats the fact that he's iron man or he says i am iron man like throughout this whole movie and we kind of see what that means um what that means to him and what that means to 
other people to the point where like Iron Man was allowed to be in the Avengers at the end of this movie, but Tony Stark was not. Um, and I thought that was kind of an interesting location to go to, uh, for that kind of thing. And then also on top of that, I think we're in an interesting position for a superhero movie where everybody knows his identity and we're kind of going to new territory about how villains react to that, how the world reacts to that. Um, and I thought, those were interesting ideas yeah this movie does a really good job of not just being another standalone story um some of the marvel movies we'll get into these later but are just kind of feel like more like standalone stories that don't build off of the last movie or what happens in this universe this one's very good at establishing that this is all this has happened because tony stark decided to tell everybody he's iron man instead of going off and like making up the cover story that he had you know, Correct. without that, Ivan Vanko, the villain would have never, you know, realized this and gone after him. Um, right. None, none of that would have happened. He would have never been dealing with this legacy problem really as hard as he would be. He would just be able to be continue running his company and, you know, probably would have just been able to shuffle this to the side a little bit more. Um, and being in public scrutiny is clearly not helping him out at all. Have, it's putting extra pressure on him that he clearly is at not the main mental state that he needs that anymore. So yeah, this job does a good job, and from the beginning of establishing that this is all because of what happens in the first movie, which is how a good sequel works, I think. Yes, yes. And then my third good is that I like the idea of Hammer. Again, very distinctive from anything else that I would mean. And then my fourth po point is that Black Widow does some cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. That Black Widow fight scene was pretty cool. It was cool unnecessary but cool yeah okay so those are my goods is there anything else you want to talk about um nope well, let's tear this up then let's go on to yep. the bad I, I i remember texting you and going like this was a tough set and um the for example i have four good points on this movie and mm -hmm. i have a a, a full page of, of bads yeah so I, um, i'll i'll go for my section then since i kind of know something while you're looking up that um the two sure. villains of this movie do not work they no. don't <laughs> at all uh and again the plot the idea of the synopsis is great um and they're both trying to be opposites of tony stark which you mentioned that R mickey rourke's presence is good and it's a lot better than sam rockwell's justin hammer who is yes. every single part about him was trying way too hard. His performances, he's a great actor, um, but that performance is trying too hard. The script is trying too hard to make him the opposite of Tony Stark by being this awkward, cringy guy who wants to be cool and suave and charming like Tony Stark and clearly isn't, while at the same time being morally reprehensible in a way that Tony Stark isn't. Uh, but it, it, it never executes that at all. It's just super awkward and dumb. Uh, Mickey Rourke is kind of pretty much just a characterized Russian and he doesn't really have any depth to him for the most part he has the idea of that there should be depth to him but then there's it never follows up on that um, he's just a nope. weird guy who has a bird for some reason and just kind of like where's has, bird where's yeah, my bird has a weird plan to kill Tony Stark uh, and 
Talk and about the, really weird. He somehow was the only person to know that Tony Stark was going to be a Monaco with the race car. Oh, thank you. I want to tell you that. That scene makes no sense at all. So at one point, in the, in, when he gets to Mon- Tony Stark gets to Monaco, he's in his normal business attire. He's just going to watch the race where he owns a car in. And Mickey Rourke's character is shown to trying to get into Monaco to kill him. But as the movie goes on, Tony Stark decides, I just want to drive a race car. And gets on the track, you know, kicks the guy, the driver of his car, the car Tony Stark legally owns, out. And then just decides to drive in, like, this Grand Prix. And for some reason, Mickey Rourke's character is in a, like, pit crew suit on the way to go into the stadium... As if he knew that Tony Stark was going to be driving a race car instead of surrounded by guards in a nice, comfy, like, box office seat. And then, like, brings... And then, of course, never gets noticed out that he has giant, like, armor stuff under his, like, uniform somehow. And then, like, that's his plan. As It's so weirdly specific in no way that makes any sense at all. Dude, did you even realize that at the very beginning of the movie, like the second scene Ivan Tranko uh, is even in, um, he gets a ticket to go to the racetrack. Yeah, he does. I don't know how but he knows. But nobody that. knows. Nobody knows he's going there. No. Tony just decides to go on a whim. Yeah, he's just like, I'm dying. I might as well go see a race car and like, you know, might as well go see my car race because it's I just want to travel somewhere around the world with Pepper Potts. That's it. He somehow, yeah, he just somehow knows that he's going to be in Monaco. It makes no sense whatsoever. And Did then, Ivan just, like, look at the ticket and it's just like, oh, that's happening in Monaco? Okay, that's close enough to Tony. What yeah, was his plan? Maybe he was just, like, wanting to hang out in, like, Monaco to, like, before he murdered Tony Stark. And it's like, oh, well, Tony Stark's going to be in Monaco, too. Thank God. <laughs> I like these races. I take Bird to watch race sometime. <laughs> that's not my better... That's not That's my not bird. That's not my, my bird. bird. The middle of that. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, there's a weird subplot in the middle of this movie where he has a cockatoo, a cockatiel? No, cockatoo in Russia with him that, you know, helps him build stuff, I guess? Or it's just there. And when he gets, um, goes to Monaco, he doesn't take the bird with him. And eventually when Justin Hammer picks him up and sends him to New York, uh, Mickey Rourke's character really wants his bird back. And it's yeah. it, this scene, the scene about discussion of whether it's his bird or not, and how he's like friends with this bird happens multiple times in this movie. It's not just a, oh, you want your bird? Okay, we'll get your bird. That's weird, but whatever. They like finds the bird, and then he complains because it's not his bird supposedly. And then the scene after that, he's hanging out with the bird as if they're like besties. I, I don't understand it at all. It's just it's dumb. I mean, I understand that eventually you're just gonna be friends with the new bird, like whatever it's have just you yeah met very silly it's a very silly con- i've never met a bird but i assume birds are just like any other pets where no you know birds. you're sad that your last pet died but really all you need is a replacement pet no birds you're are already the devil, good to go so like they're not going to be valued with you that fast <laughs> birds are like demon animals and so no i, I mean i'm sure there are some people who like birds and you know work with birds well uh, those people are evil so this <laughs> I don't know how he could do that. That's I guess that's a villain thing. It's just being able to work with birds well. That, yeah. Know. Oh yeah. Villains can absolutely work with birds, birds well. Birds I think that's a, established in canon. Birds I, I, of a feather. The, a lot of the, a lot of this plot just doesn't make sense. Or no. like we've talked about how um, a lot of there's a lot of good ideas, but to me it's just it's so clunky 
about how it gets to each of those bullet point ideas. Yeah. How it gets to every scene. Like, the one thing I can point to for sure is that one scene where he discovers the atom. Mm -hmm. Or not the atom, the... The new uh, element. element. Yeah, whatever. He creates a new he creates a new element. And I was gonna ask you some science questions about those since you know more about science. I was like, one, can you create an element like that? Yes. And also not, not, I don't think in that specific way, but yes, there are elements in the universe that have been created by people. Okay. Okay. So then the other question is, uh, do you use lasers to do it? Uh I don't know that one. I'm guessing possibly, but I doubt it's Hooking up a bunch of tubes together, throwing a prism in the middle, and then having a, a laser that cuts through your house hit a like it hit a triangle, and then that triangle you know glows, and then like it glows like it's radioactive, and then afterwards like pretty much within like five seconds it's cool to the touch, and Tony Stark just puts it in his body. He's like, dude, this is cool, whatever. He like grabs so... it with his he grabs it with his bare hands. Like, no, don't do that. I can't imagine that this like this whatever this like element. Is somehow that like perfect for you that you could just make this out of some laser that destroys your house and lights it uh, pretty much half the house on fire, and then you know, but it like within five seconds of it hitting this blue triangle, oh man, you could just grab that and just play with it like whatever, you know, give it to your kids kind of thing. Like it's just oh that that whole scene is dumb for numerous reasons. Yeah, it's dumb, but it's also superhero logic that I can get into. Yeah. Dr. Octopus's science doesn't make any sense to Spider-Man 2, but it makes enough sense that it's a big enough problem to yeah. whatever. It so it's cool forward. It's cool to see Tony Stark do science things and do something that matters in order to get up on the next step with energy and all that stuff and be able to survive. That's cool to see. However... The big problem that I have is that we go, he puts it in his chest, and he goes, oh, yeah, and that has a really awkward and horrible fade transition into the next scene, which is like the expo, and everybody's just there in the crowd, and they're all cheering or something like that. I, yeah. I, I was just, I was flabbergasted how lazy of a transition that was, and like, this whole movie is filled with just very clunky ways to get over into the next scene. Uh, you like the Samuel L. Jackson talking scene, you know, whatever. But, like, how you got into a donut shop and we're having, like, these two super powerful superhero characters. And they're, like, really meeting for the first time. Like, really, really meeting and having a conversation for the first time on film. And you put them in a, in a Dunkin' donuts restaurant and like you're just having this really awkward almost kevin smith conversation in uh in the middle of this movie like that like it's very very not cinematic about how we get from him on top of a donut into the store and then all of a sudden we're on our way with this uh as you put it shield subplot subplot yeah and on top of that, the worst thing about that scene, and I just think that was just a really clunky way to get to wherever, but, you know, at the end of the day, whatever, we need to get some information, here's some dialogue. The worst thing about that, though, is that's the scene where they introduce Black Widow. And for the first time, we see Natasha in the costume as Black Widow, and that's how we're introduced. Like It's like a butt shot walking into the restaurant, and... It's just like, hey, I'm here. 
type of thing, and that's it. Yeah, she just shows up in this movie, and there is no reason she needs to be in this movie at all. I'm guessing no. some of the clunkiness is from script rewriting um, to try and accommodate these plot threads that I don't think John Favreau wanted in the movie, and are really oh, I'm sure. unnes- un- really unnecessary. The audience isn't that dumb. We can... They're trying to, like, baby step you into, you know, trying to figure out what S.H.I.E.L.D. in this universe is. Nobody cares. And if you do care, it will take you five seconds to think, oh, this is the government agency that deals with superheroes and, like, yeah. par- like extra, like, you know, supernatural things. Great. That's all we need. Instead, we get this weird subplot of Natasha, like, yeah, Black Widow. So Natasha Romanoff becomes Tony Stark's secretary because... S.H.I.E.L.D. learns that he's sick, even though he's literally told nobody, and there's no signs of him being sick. So she's a cover agent to be a secretary, who's basically around to be attractive. And Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's most of what she does in this role. And so she's basically there for that, and for half the movie, she's there to do that. She gives him some terrible advice about, you know, when he's dying on his birthday party, what to do, and she's like, oh, I party like the world's ending. And then, of course, that means that Tony took a blackout drug. And, like, why would you tell somebody who has shown narcissistic tendencies and has, is, like, and kind of likes alcohol already, why would you tell him that when your goal is to protect him and keep him from doing bad things? Like, what, that's, so, anyway, so, she does that, and then she just exists in the rest of the movie. And then, the best part is, like, so, when the main villain's attacking... And Tony Stark, he's doing it from a like a remote facility and has a bunch of drones attack Tony Stark and his big ex science expo. And the Black Widow and his Tony Stark's bodyguard break into the facility to find this guy, only to find that he's not there. So we have this yeah. whole action scene that literally builds up to nothing. But Black Widow in general, so not only did she have a very uncinematic introduction, but Oh my, uh, just how male gazy is this movie? She's very sexualized, and she is very sexualized, and I was with, very almost embarrassed watching this without uh, giving her any extra beyond that she's attractive and can fight people. Um, I yeah. I don't mind if characters are framed as you know sexual. That's as long as it like a works with their character and two is there for a reason beyond, you know, just she's hot and people want to see her butt. That's, that, to me, is wrong. Yeah, but, this is wrong. And this is, is a prime example of that, to the point where Black Widow's cover-up story is that she was a model in Tokyo for a little while? Yeah. What sense does that make? I was trying to rationalize in my head why they wanted her to be a model in the cover-up. And, like, this should be, like a very little point or like a quibble or even a nitpick because of how small and uh, uh, of an impact it is on the rest of the movie and how like little the scene is. But like, if you really think about it, it makes no sense because like at first I thought they were justifying this model thing to get Tony's attention and like, Oh, uh, we got another model here. Uh, we can, you know, use her as part of the company and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and, you know, because Tony Stark is Tony Stark and he likes attractive women. He likes yeah. attractive women working on his stuff. But that ends up being a mute point because she's already working for Tony when Tony first meets her. And and, 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 
and has nothing to do with anything. She, that didn't get anywhere. That was just us showing off a half-naked Scarlett Johansson on screen for a few seconds because it's Scarlett Johansson. I, and it, it boggled my mind that that choice was made in a movie that came out in 2010. Yeah, and she's... It's yeah. It's not even like they're looking at like your resumes and like, oh, she's a model. Yeah, because that would have attracted his attention. She is walking in there and already like you know, like with makeup and like attractive clothing, clearly already trying to attract him using her looks. Like, there's yeah, like, there's no. Let's think reason. about this in terms of the universe. To, like, uh, not Tony Stark, uh, the other one. Nick Fury would have had to look at Natasha and was just like, okay, for this operation, we need to make sure that you, for a little while, back in college or whatever, was a model in Tokyo. So we need to get you in half-naked clothing. And, like, like yeah, how shield... does Natasha respond to that? Just like, oh, yeah, okay, it's for the mission. Yeah, no, shield no money way was would she used... go do that. Shield money was used to fund a model career a model for shoot. her... For when it's How many photos were in there? A lot of them. Scarlett there was Johansson. a lot of photos in that file. Scarlett Johansson is already attractive enough. You don't need half naked pictures of her. She's yeah. she's like, and she's also a living, breathing person in the room. He can see yeah. how attractive she is. You don't need the extra modeling. Career. I mean, we already we already talked to Kate Mara, who gave him a, a subpoena, and the only reason why he listened to her was because she was attractive. Yeah. So we've apparently that a, works. We've established that if Tony Stark sees an attractive woman. He's pretty susceptible to whatever. Great. Her like Scarlett Johansson walking into the room, that's already enough for him. He's already right. sold. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why. the And then the camera just loves to, like, accentuate, like, all of her physical features without giving, like, right. any context. And whenever she walks into a room, it's butt first. And then all the, like, and then it pans out after that for the most part. It's never right. like she's, like, in a profile or, like, body shape. It's always at some point is accentuating like attractive parts of her body and then the rest of her shows up like in in the script she could be all the cool characters she wants but when you have the camera filming it that way that's what we remember because our brains basically see a visual image first and comprehend that before we think about like the logic anything like that so in film language you're essentially telling us that because we show like her attractive features first that's what's important about her not that she is a secret agent who knows latin and russian um who basically can fight really well and is shown to be incredibly intelligent none of that matters because she's attractive and therefore she's worthwhile to get a job at this yeah it's not a great it's she's not a great introduction for her much like how uh the avengers ended up being a hulk reboot in some ways uh, the Avengers very much works as a Black Widow reboot as well. Yeah, her introduction scene in that one is all that you needed, and it does legs better. Yeah, she's in skimpier clothes in that introduction, but and it's the movie doesn't try and say that she's not attractive because she is. That's just a fact of life. But it frames it in a way of she's not a damsel in distress. She's not there as eye candy. She's part of the team and she can work well. And we'll get into that more with you know when we talk about Avengers. But yeah, if they had. If they had never put her in Iron Man 2 and she showed up in Just Avengers, that would have been so much better. She's unnecessary well, here and it's super awkward. I'm trying to think of the culture zeitgeist back in 2010. I just think nobody gave a crap about Black Widow until Avengers. Nope. So nope. that she just was... proves your point even more. It's just yeah, like exactly. she, she was should have been introduced in Avengers. Yep. As she was, was everything in else. this movie. She had nothing. Yes. No right being in this movie. 
Just have her in Avengers. I think, I think the last point I want to give about Black Widow um, and how they treat her in this movie is the line Tony Stark gives to, I think, Happy. Um, it might have even been to Pepper, which is in some ways even worse. But he goes, after talking about Black Widow or talk or seeing her for the first time or whatever, he says, I want one about yeah. Black Widow. And I think that weird. is absolutely despicable and just like and maybe the times are changing except i don't think so i think even back then i cringed yeah, at that. it's a it's a cringy it was, line it, was, it wasn't good that was not a good choice no nope. uh that that's my that was my biggest thing uh on this page full of bad uh bullet points that was my largest chunk was how they treated black widow yeah um my first one that I have almost kind of highlighted here is how is Ivan Trenko an actual bad guy? And you might say, like, how could I say that because of their Russian um, characters that they did of this movie, the stereotyping him as this cold-hearted Russian person that doesn't act like a real person. But, like, I guess what I meant by that is, like, they try to frame his dad as this evil diabolical person by trying to get money off of off of the projects they were doing is that correct yeah. am i remembering that correctly but we're talking about howard stark here who is like in this movie especially supposed to be a walt disney allegory and so like what are they doing if they're not trying to get in on this capitalistic you know world like why is he a bad guy for wanting money out of this when that's exactly what they're doing too uh, maybe it's the idea that he was he uh leaking information for money i it never is explained and i have a problem it with never that explains too, is, it, yeah which, it never explains so it's it's just this weird backward okay because like these characters are very much in uh, complying to this capitalistic uh, uh zeitgeist or uh, hege- uh hegemony that um encompasses a lot of the the marvel characters uh and so like when he wanted extra money and they kicked him out for that it just it seems like that's profiling it seemed like they kicked him out because he was russian not because like and like he's playing with the with a capitalist game too like what are you talking about so like to me like just with that little bit of information like howard stark was the real bad guy in this like he if he allowed this guy to keep going with you know and uh keep going uh with their uh experiments and and building the technology that they were doing i i don't i maybe there was something else that was implied that i missed maybe he was trying to do more evil things with with the technology they were developing but i don't think they made that point clear enough then uh they to me it seemed like didn't yeah, it seemed like they were just profiling him out. And, like, that's, like, how is he a bad guy? Like, why would I not be sympathetic towards him and want him to win yeah, at that they're, point? They're sli- there was a very slight reference to the fact that, yeah, when he was doing it for money, it was the idea that he was doing it for, like, you know, was not was not going to sell this company to, like, was going to sell his technology to, like, you know, protect people. He was just wanting to, like, sell it to the highest bidder no matter what they were going to do with it. They slightly, very, very slightly, tinily hint at that. But the whole thing about him not being the person that, you know, 
Ivan and the rest of the world kind of thinks he is. Yeah, and like that, you know, Walt Disney reference of like, yeah, why is he suddenly the bad person? And that should have gotten, that clearly was on the cutting room and it should never have been. Um, I can't imagine John Favreau is that bad of a director that he just kind of forgot that. That seems like it was meant to be in the movie and then got cut, you yes, know, because they I had agree. to put S.H.I.E.L.D. in it because yeah. reasons. We needed, we, needed, we needed more development of why the bad guy is the bad guy and more of him being the bad guy. To me, these Iron Man bad guys were kind of just more or less Bugs Bunny antagonists to the point where, like, Tony Stark is the Bugs Bunny and nobody can touch him. Yeah, And these guys are just these overcompensating uh, jerk-offs who are trying to to fight this this rabbit and are outsmarted by him at every turn. It's just... It's really funny, but at the same time, it's very not threatening. It's very much not what I want to see in a movie. Yeah, it. the fact that they keep... They, the one that they're trying to be more funny than menacing almost all the time um, really undercuts any sort of severity or threat to them. Um, not that yes. you can have a villain that's not funny. Uh, you, you can. It works very well sometimes. But having a villain that's primary goal inside of a movie is to be funny and not to threaten the main character it definitely does not help uh so it can uh, cause a lot of harm and yeah that's why i wouldn't i wouldn't mind sam rockwell's performance and character in this as much if like at one point we would see his true colors and his true colors end up being something very despicable and like he's like trying to put on this happy uh like oh man i'm out of luck charm and it but then it turns into something very evil and just like something just like very menacing i thought was where it was gonna go and it doesn't and like the most it gets to that is when he takes ivan's shoes somehow taking his shoes away is like making him a bad guy yeah if at one point i didn't get that scene at all if at one point he actually or he actually outsmarted tony stark or he did something better than tony stark but he's always like 20 steps behind so why would he yes. ever be within any reaching grounds of telling the only thing he and did was here's he, a question for the universe is like how is he successful at all he's an I, idiot i'm guessing just <laughs> you'd be surprised um yeah. i'm guessing <laughs> that's that that's a real life universe question how are idiots in charge sometimes <laughs> god uh <laughs> the real life cinematic universe yeah in the real cinematic universe um with we have the same plot problems where the like sometimes people in charge are just really dumb so not naming names but <laughs> but yeah he's just a terrible villain all around and i get what they were trying to do by having him be the opposite of tony stark but it just it doesn't does not work, work. Being an awkward person um, who is not charming is not the opposite of Tony Stark. Being the opposite of Tony Stark is more like Mickey Rourke's character where, you know, you're more composed, people don't really know what you're thinking, and that you are going to use your genius powers to hurt other people, not to make money, not to... And that that you're going to do that to harm other people. That's the opposite of Tony Stark. Yes. Um, Not you being weird and awkward and uh, and not being menacing at all. And being unfunny—that's not Tony Stark. I like the idea of a rival company being a big main antagonist for Tony Stark, but they just did not pull this off. No, they're never a rival at all. They're all their stuff is just like either like when they were showing off all the weapons, they were all just like regular weapons, except for like the final one that was the tank buster. 
Yes. That was that was it. All the other stuff was just like regular normal weapons. Normal guns, like, yeah. Yeah, normal guns. I was like, oh, that's really all the best you had to show off with? Like, God, no wonder you're like, nobody's going to give you anything. And then they give him the Iron Man suit for that little bit of like garbage. Like, why would anybody How stupid any that was stuff? that? They give, you, they give it a whole Iron Man suit for like, <laughs> a, basically a machine gun, like a shotgun, uh, like a couple of assault rifles, and a tank buster that you do not even see in action. It's yeah, not like in the first you movie bought with, all of that. Yeah, it's you not, purchased it's, all of those things. It's not like the first movie where Tony Stark brags about the Jericho missile that he creates and then shows it off. That's how you. But this one, Justin Hammer literally just has this little tiny missile, and he talks about he's called it the ex-wife, and it just destroys everything. And he just sets it on the table. It's like that's it. Like I could have like probably wrapped up something in confetti and been like, man, this I just called this the mother-in-law. Uh, it's bad and it's gonna blow things up and set on the table and everybody would just been like, oh yeah, we'll take that. Like, maybe we, maybe we should get into the weapon business. And yeah, the the fake weapons I, business where none of your stuff actually works and yet the government yeah, keeps getting contracts. Which yeah. oh god, that's realistic though. Oh no, oh, <laughs> that actually no. happens. Okay, let's uh, let's get off of the topical stuff then. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to say about anything? Yes. Um. So, Terrence Howard gets replaced in this movie by Don Cheadle. They're both fantastic actors, um, but... And Don Cheadle grows into this role, role of Rhodey um, and War Machine as the movies go on. In this one, I don't know what was up his butt, but, like, he was the most boring, bland, unserious, like, ser- like stupid, serious character. When, yeah. one, it's established Rhodey is, like has a sense of humor and yeah he's yes more responsible than tony stark but he's you know able to actually have fun and laugh at tony stark's joke don cheeto in this one like looks like someone just like is stepping on his toe constantly and it's it's so distractingly bad that it just it's like i know he's a good actor and again he grows into these movies as it goes on but in this one man he is just not good and it's i think the fight scene between the two of them in the suits would have been way more effective if that was Terrence Howard. Yeah, exactly. We had built up this, or if you had just established Rhodey as someone that didn't just, like, you know, say no to Tony Stark constantly and just get mad at him when he does bad things. Yeah, that that scene had no emotional weight at this point because all we've seen of Don Cheadle as Rhodey is just, you know, be really sour face and get mad that Tony Stark's doing bad things. Like, there's no hint of their friendship. There's no anything else like that. I think Don Cheadle maybe cracks a smile like maybe five times before that fight happens. Like maybe. And they're never like, oh, Tony Stark, like this is why we're good friends. He's just like, they just know each other because they know each other. And then so then that fight happens and it just it doesn't matter anymore. Right. We don't care Mm -hmm. about we don't care about this friendship possibly ending because, well, who cares about Rhodey in this movie? He doesn't do anything really. Right. So that's the only thing. And again, Don Cheadle gets better in these movies. I promise. Or I'm remembering it wrong, but I promise he gets better. <laughs> I, either that Maybe, or hopefully. Wrong, Cross your fingers. Hopefully. To remind everybody, we're going to go off the Netflix rating system. Five stars means we loved it. One of our favorites. Four stars means we really liked it. Three stars means we liked it okay. Two stars means didn't like it. And one star means we hated it. So, Potabomb, where do you go on Iron Man 2? two and a half and the half is because of the potential not because it's you know better than a two it's not this movie is just it it could have been something good 
it could have really yes. been something great. But I don't know what happened, whether it was truly behind the studio stuff or John Favreau just made a bad movie or just, you know, the Universal Lightning. Uh, this movie tried to be Iron Man 1. And I think I said in the first one that Iron Man was lightning in a bottle. Uh, this is what happens if you try and get lightning in a bottle the second time. You just get electrocuted and nobody's happy. So, yep. two and a half at best. I This one's really hard for me to rate because it is a viewable movie. Like, as its own, I'm watching it and I can have an okay time watching it. And there's a lot of things I like to see. Um, and there's a lot of good ideas that they laid out in front of us. It just does not go anywhere satisfying and it's very clunky on its way over there. It feels to me like there was so much passion put in this movie, but it was for a story nobody wanted to tell. Yeah, that's a pretty accurate representation or that nobody in the higher ups wanted to tell. Like, I think John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. and Mickey Rourke had a story that they wanted to tell, and all the writers and all that stuff had a story they wanted to tell, but I think the upper uh, production studio wanted them to tell the story of how we get Iron Man into the Avengers and not this interesting story about a fallible hero. Correct. In some ways, if this movie was just a way to please the upper heads, then maybe it could have worked a little better, and then they could have made uh, the interesting good stuff the third movie. Which um, they do. Yeah, they we're going to get there. Um, yep. And in that regards, like, I don't dislike it, but at the same time, I'm going to give it a two. Uh, this is, this was a movie I'll probably never watch again unless I'm, you know, forced against my will and the guys from A Clockwork Orange uh, unless, bring out the things and, yeah, um, like, l- keep my eyes open. Unless I ever do these movies in a row, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever gonna... And this is... If you're if you're watching these movies just... And, like, trying to get through the Marvel movies out of just sheer enjoyment, um, instead of, like, us trying to torture ourselves with these, uh, if you just want to get a sheer enjoyment, you could probably just skip this one. Again, yeah. Black Widow gets introduced better in The Avengers. All that stuff that they're building up about set up to The Avengers is rushed away in the Avengers, like with the, you know, Tony Stark not actually getting to be Iron Man in the Avengers. All that stuff's brushed away. The S.H.I.E.L.D., I'll just spoil you for you five seconds. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s an organization meant to deal with supernatural and superhuman people. Done. You don't need a whole subplot about that. This movie just... This movie could have been written out of existence. And it would, nobody would have. And it's too bad because there's, there's passion clearly hidden deep in it, but... exactly it's it's buried deep guys it's buried deep everybody yep okie dokie folks that does it for this week i've been kirk peterson and i'm alex potterbaum and we'll see you next time with thor with thor excelsior thor no 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 This has been Potts vs. Pete. The music was made by the invincible Aquila Galusha, while this episode was edited by the astonishing Will Dodds. You've been listening to the amazing Alex Potterbaum and the uncanny Kirk Peterson. Thank you, True Believer, for listening. <laughs>